Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, and yes, sir, you know I got to get paid. High fly ball, belted right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, and yes, sir, you know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, belted right, welcome to the show. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hello, hello, and welcome into the Platinum Sombrero. Sorry if I sound like somebody from Illinois who doesn't know what sweet tea is. Unfortunately, the weather in Georgia has been kind of, how shall we say this, a stupid. Uh, luckily, even if I'm not feeling my best or sounding my best, MyBookie.ag always has the best deals on the market. If you go to MyBookie.ag today, you can use our promo code ARMCHAIR, and they're going to give you a 100% deposit match on your initial deposit up to $1,000. That means if you want to bet the money line on, on the Braves going over their win totals, uh, you can do that. If you want to bet Ronald Acuna going 40-40 or 50-50, you can do that. My bookie has more prop bets than anybody else in the business. That's why everybody likes to use them. Their customer service is second to none. If you can't find a line on my bookie, nobody has a line for it. It's as simple as that. It's easy to use. It's fun to do. Their interface looks really great. It's just a very professional, well-run organization, and their customer service is absolutely top-notch. If you want to go in there, just make sure you throw our promo code armchair. That way they know that you're coming from us, and they'll give you that special deal. Up to $1,000 they will match on your initial deposit. So you can't do it four or five times because they're not in the business to lose money. You know They're sharper than a thumbtack there. But that first time you sign up, if you've just been waiting until baseball season to sign up, go to MyBookie, use our promo code armchair, play, win, have a great time, and then let us know how good you did. Brag to your friends, brag to the whole wide world, MyBookie.ag. All right, so we are, what, officially two weeks away from opening day now, if I miss my guess? What is today, the 11th? Yes, it is 3-11, so we got 15 days, 15 days, Dylan, and we have Major League Baseball, that counts. Are you actually going to be able to stay up to watch the, the first Braves game since it starts at 10 p.m.? Uh, I'm going to try. I'll, I'll probably make it to the sixth inning, but uh, as we covered last week, I am an old man, so, um, you know, if I, 
if anybody from the bullpen is pitching, uh, by the time I'm awake, you know, it's, um, you know, something has probably gone horribly wrong. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Yeah, but, I, I can, I'm going to definitely stay up because I've been waiting for this forever. Um, one of the things we're going to get to a little bit later in the show, though, uh, we'll, we'll take a more serious turn. But before we get into the heavy stuff, which you guys can probably figure out just by reading the newspaper, or let me say reading the news tweets because nobody reads the actual newspaper anymore. As we're winding down in spring training, the Braves are starting to make cuts. Now, the roster is now officially down to 48 as of Wednesday. Not sure what this is going to be at on Friday when you guys are listening. But as of right now, uh, today on Wednesday, we saw Christian Pache, William Contreras, Phil Pfeiffer, and Tucker Davidson all get sent or reassigned to AAA Gwinnett. And these are the names that kind of, that's when you start taking notice. There have been some guys before. Um, we'll, we'll talk about in a second some former Braves, obviously. But these these four guys getting sent down kind of lets you know that they're really starting to to crack down, and you're going to start seeing guys play almost full games now. Now they're starting to to cut down to the guys who need to get really prepared for the season to start. Um, just want to take a look at these guys. How do you think it's been as a spring for these four that just got sent down? Pache was striking out a lot. Um, you know, he was actually hitting. I, I, I've had a lot of people tell me that I need to kind of lay off Drew Waters a little bit because I've been uh, tweeting about how much he's been striking out, which he has been striking out a lot. But Pache has 61%, been striking out. 61%, in fact. Pache, What's 42%. That? I said uh, 61% for Drew Waters, as a matter of fact. Pache at 42%. But the difference being Pache started out really, really badly and in the last week or two has really been coming along and starting to time things up a little bit better, as is a little bit more expected in spring training as you see the pitchers more and more often. Yeah, and, and he's still he was still getting plenty of time uh, to show off the defense, and you know he hit the three-run home run against the Orioles on Tuesday, So that, and that was the last game before he got reassigned. He was always going to be a long shot to make it as well. You know, when you start looking at guys, you know, William Contreras didn't, didn't stand a chance. Tucker Davidson was really interesting. He he pitched pretty well, uh, all things considered. But I like the fact that he he got reassigned, and I know that you do too. Uh, just because we talked about the need for there to be another left-handed guy in the bullpen. If Newcomb winds up in the rotation, so you look at guys like Chris Nunn who got reassigned, and Chris Rusin who's still around, and Tyler Matzik who could be like a, a really good story. But a guy like Tucker Davidson. It's not time to give up on him yet. You know, he's still being looked at as a starter. If Tuki Toussaint, through all of his struggles, if they're still looking at him as a starter, then, you know, they're, it's not time to give up on Tucker Davidson either, right? Absolutely. And, and I'm actually kind of happy that Tucker got reassigned. I was talking about this the other day. Tucker never got a start in spring training. Every, every stint he had was short stint outings, one inning outings. And Tucker's a guy that he's, he's, progressed so far from when he was drafted i don't want him to have this stigma that he's got to be a bullpen guy just because he was drafted in what like the 19th round or something like that he's a guy with a four pitch uh, four pitch mix that knows how to pitch to contact that throws 100 miles an hour from the left side he's everything that you want sean newcomb to be i mean he's got much better command than sean newcomb right now he is like that that's one of the things i was saying like depending on how sean newcomb had ended up doing Tucker and Sean Newcomb are, are almost the same profile. Sean's a little bit taller, but they're the same. That big-bodied lefty that can eat a lot of innings. Tucker's just better at putting the ball where he wants to put it to this point in their careers. So I'm actually glad that Tucker's been sent down. I want him to stay a starter. I think he he would be one of the second or third starter called up. Uh, Pfeiffer was a little bit interesting to me. I thought I thought Pfeiffer might have a real shot because he's 27. I thought he might have a real shot at hanging around in the, rota- in, uh, the bullpen. 
he's another one though. I kind of I I would kind of like to see them leave him in the rotation and and see if last year was for real. See if he can repeat it. He's a guy that's always been able to strike out a ton of guys. I mean, he floats around like a twelve like a twelve strikeouts per nine. It's always been the walks with him. Uh, I believe last year was the first year he ever had a walk rate that was under five, and uh, th- that's been Pfeiffer's problem to this point in his career. And we saw some struggles with his command his final outing in spring, but before that, Pfeiffer had been, I think he'd only allowed one walk up to that point. He'd been absolutely lights out. It's been a good spring for a lot of the young guys. William Contreras, it was good to see him up in spring. Um, I think he's. I think we can both agree that Shea Langoliers has probably raised his stock more than any other Brave in spring training. Uh, just being able to show that there's a little bit more juice with the bat than a lot of people might have thought there would have been this early in his career. And the way that Langoliers has handled the pitching staff has been adept. Langoliers caught Max Freed to, uh, on Wednesday and caught a whale of a game. Whether or not the umpire was fully on board with it or not will will remain to be seen. But the Braves are in a good place with a lot of these guys. I mean, I didn't think any of these guys had a realistic shot at actually breaking camp when spring training started. So I'm not necessarily surprised they're sent down now. I think I'm a little bit more surprised that Drew Waters is still technically on the big league roster as of Wednesday, uh, as is um, Shea Langoliers. I think we'll see that corrected here soon. Uh, I wonder if they'll let Langoliers hang around through basically all of spring just so they have another catcher to use. Um, but I, I think I think we'll most definitely see, because I think Waters was on the lineup card for today as well, so I think they maybe they're trying to get Waters some, some feel-good so he doesn't go to start Gwinnett on, with being this frustrated, but uh, I think in a matter of days, we'll see the Braves trim down a little bit farther. As I said, they're at 48 on the roster as of Wednesday, so uh, next week they should be fully cut down to what they need to be. Yeah, I mean, there, there's still going to be plenty of casualties in there. You're gonna, and as you see the pitchers start to get whittled down, you'll see guys like Langoliers uh, get reassigned, and Jonathan Morales is still around. It, I do love seeing Patrick Weigel throwing to Jonathan Morales in these games. It brings me back to the uh, that 2016 Rome team that had Freed and Tukey and Soroka and Acuna was on that team, Austin Riley. I mean, all, all of the guys that are bubbling either uh, just below the surface or have already made it now, it's... Um, that, that was a really, really special team, and Morales was, he was a late-round draft pick, and all of the pitchers from that, that uh, staff, and Colby Allard uh, was, was on that staff too, uh, they all love throwing to, uh, to Johnny Moe. So as they start to whittle down, you, less pitchers, you'll need less catchers. Waters is an interesting case. Like I said, he, he's striking out a lot, and uh, you know Pache was at least hitting a little more, but, and Waters... I think he's just pressing. He's just in his own head. Maybe there's something specific they're trying to work on with him. He's apparently very coachable. So he could benefit from some of the big league instruction that he's still getting right now. But it's it's entirely possible that within the next couple of days, he's going to wind up getting cut too. I thought it was interesting that Bryce Wilson was among the first round of cuts. You know, because they, they were cutting guys like Wasker and Noah and Jaseel De La Cruz. And... Th- those those are guys that are obviously not quite ready for prime time, but Bryce, I figured they would have kept him around a, a little bit more. Maybe there was something mechanical, or or th- I guess they just realized very early on that he wasn't going to make it. That just kind of surprised me a little bit. You know, it, it, Chad Sabatka didn't really surprise me. AJ Mentor had thrown like one inning before he got reassigned, so that didn't really surprise me much. But Bryce kind of caught me off guard a little bit. It didn't surprise me, as I've been saying. The Braves are at this point where they've almost. They've almost got themselves into too big of a hole, and we'll talk. We we were talking about this before the show, where Alex has done some amazing things in his tenure with the Braves, short 
although it is, he's done he's done a great job. Probably the worst thing he's done, in my opinion at least, though, is allow this log jam to get as thick as it is right now. And I know you always need depth. You're always towing that line between having the perfect amount of depth and having too many guys and stagnating. But we're at this point now where you look between Mississippi and Gwinnett, there's about there's about 12 arms that are all at right around the same level right now that aren't able to move up or progress because there's too many in front of them. Talking about just, I mean, just play around and see how many you can name off the top of your head. Jaseel De La Cruz, uh, Tuki Toussaint, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, Sean Newcomb. You know, obviously some of these are in the majors now too, uh, but Newcomb, <clears throat> Tucker Davidson, Patrick Weigel, Phil Pfeiffer, Kyle Muller. Uh, I mean, there, there's just no end to these guys. Ian Anderson as well. I mean, it's just that's that's ten right there, and I know for sure that I forgot like three or four more. It's just there's so many guys right now that the Braves don't have the luxury of being super patient with a lot of these guys anymore. We can say, yeah, 22 is not 22 is still really young, and it is 22, 23 is still young. The problem is most of these other guys that he's directly competing against are also 22 and 23. So you got to let them progress. If they don't have a way to move up the ladder and progress, they're going to stagnate. And that's the thing that you want to avoid because that's when their trade value plummets. So for Bryce, I mean, I'm not ready. To, I'm not going to give up on Bryce and say that he's a, a finished product. But I've been saying for a while now that you have to start making your determinations of who's going to be a starter, who's going to be a reliever, and who's going to get traded. And I think for Bryce Wilson, I think the Braves are almost at that point where they had him come out there and, and try to show him what he could do, see if that spike slider could give him a better secondary. And unfortunately, this spring, it just wasn't working for Bryce at all. His fastball was still far too flat and hittable. So I would not be shocked to see Bryce uh, used more as – I would not be shocked to see Bryce passed up as a starter now. I think he's probably fallen behind a good three or four other arms. Probably so. And and just based strictly out of necessity, you really are going to start to see some of these guys transition into bullpen. You saw it with Jeremy Walker last year, who was a very unheralded name coming out of the draft. He, small school, you know, went to Gardner-Webb, which you were very familiar with. Um, and he didn't really click for him until he moved into the bullpen. And when you start looking at log jams, you know, you've got, you've got Soroka and Freed, which as long as they stay healthy, then they're going to be at the top of this rotation for a while. You got Fulty, who you're obviously pulling for. So, you know, and then you've also got Newcomb and Wright and all these guys. You know, Hamels will be gone next year, but his spot is probably going to be spoken for. And then you look in the bullpen, you start to see guys like Melanson and Shane Green. They won't be around next year, um, at least as it sits currently. So you will have some more openings than you have right now. So you're right, though. I mean, it's everywhere you look, there is just a crazy amount of pitching talent, but maybe this is the year. We've been saying it for forever, but maybe this is the year that some of these guys finally get flipped for some type of bigger piece. It was really great in the trade deadline in 2018, the, the Gossman deal, which he was exactly what the team needed at the time, and... Anthopolis was able to accomplish that deal without trading any major pieces at the time. Like, there was nobody from that top 10 tier. And now that almost is kind of backfiring a little bit because, like you said, you've got 10 guys that are striving for five spots. So, you know, what what do you wind up doing? But, you know, th- this, is for, this is for June and July us to worry about. You know, this is not for, for March us to, to panic about yet. Absolutely. 
Uh, quick update on Riley and Camargo. Both of them are just playing a game of anything you can do, I can do better. Both have been outstanding this spring. If this keeps up, there's no there's no way that they're not both on the opening day roster. I have to imagine that they're they're looking at different scenarios to to keep them in there. Like we talked about last week, I think the fact that Riley can play first might might be a benefit for him because if he's got three different positions he can play, he proved last year he can play some in the outfield. Uh, he obviously can play third and he can play first as well. So both I think, of these both these guys can play a minimum of four positions. At that point, yeah. it's not it's not their fault that you can't find them at bats. At that point, it's the manager's fault. And that's one thing that say what you will about Snicker. If these guys continue to put up these numbers and one of them is shipped down because you can't quote unquote find time for them, that's a problem to be taken up with your manager, not a problem with the guys for being versatile. I mean, you're trying to I mean, you want Riley to develop and get everyday at bats, but the Braves are not the Marlins or the Royals, where you can just let a guy figure it out at the big league level. This is kind of all hands on deck this year. Whoever's able to help the team win, they play. So if what's best for the Braves is Acuna playing center field and Riley playing right field and Ozuna playing left field then and Camargo playing third, then by golly, that's what needs to happen. Instead of this, you know, well, we want him to stay third base for the future. I get that too, but sometimes it doesn't work out. Look at Chris Bryant. Who would have thought three years ago that Chris Bryant would play more left field than third base? That's true, and that's where the positional versatility really will kind of help out there. So hopefully, hopefully that decision winds up being made intelligently. Um, but I was talking about Riley backing up first base, and there's there's another guy that I <laughs> we kind of talked about beforehand. Um, that's Pete O'Brien. We've got to talk about Pete O'Brien a little bit because I think there might be a little bit of confusion as to what Pete O'Brien actually is. Now, he is hitting tanks in spring training. No question about it, man. He is absolutely crushing the ball. Do you think that he's got a realistic chance for making this roster? Uh, I do, actually. I think the addition of the 26th man does put Pete O'Brien firmly in contention. He doesn't have to be a, like your main pinch hitter coming off the bench, but he is a guy that's got experience in corner outfields. He's got some experience behind the plate. If he's going to make it over Charlie Culberson, all of a sudden now you've got another emergency catcher, and he's played first base in big league games. So instead of just saying that, oh, Marcakis is the default first baseman, I mean, at least Pete O'Brien has actually played there and is a big body, and he does have power. Now, the problem with, with Pete O'Brien and the reason why he's been on like 25 different teams is because he can't make enough contact to put that power on display. But you are talking about somebody that's still under 30. You're talking about a guy that was a second-round pick of the New York Yankees as a catcher, so obviously they liked him about, They liked him somewhat. He kind of reminds me of Alex Jackson, to be honest with you, uh, Other than except with Alex, he got moved back behind the plate. You know, Brian's a guy that if he touches it, it's going a long way. The problem is he doesn't touch it very often. This spring, he's leading the Braves in home runs, and he is hitting tank jobs. And I think having a 26th man does help his chances, especially for the fact that Charlie hasn't really played well at all this spring. You know a Daney's going to be on the bench. I think it's going to come down to uh, to Charlie versus Pete O'Brien, if I'm being honest. I Pete O'Brien is kind of towing the line of being a quad A player. You know, he hit the power is legit. I mean, we're we're talking 70, 75 level power. I mean, it, it is it is serious. But I mean, when you look at the strikeout rates for the uh, for the opportunities that he has been given. You know, last year he played for the Marlins. He had a 40.4% strikeout rate. I mean, that's, you can't, 
you can't do that. Even if you can hit tanks, you know, you, you have to be able to make contact. The, and being a one-trick pony, you really do get aided by something like the, the 26th roster. Ah, 26th roster spot. Good God, that was a tough one. And as a bench role, I, I can see it. Um, and you're right, Charlie, even for as much versatility and for as much as everybody loves him, you know, he, he really hasn't performed well. And I don't know if he's, he's got uh, some type of trepidation after being hit in the face, if it's necess- uh, necessarily bad luck that's happening to him, but he hasn't really gone out and wowed anybody. But everybody knows what he's capable of being when, he, when he's when he's locked in. And he, Charlie Culperson, has been historically a very good bench player. Uh, he's just not a starter. You know, last year when Dansby went out, there were there was basically an open audition for that shortstop spot. And Camargo and Culberson both were trying to say, like, no, please, please don't make me start here. So for O'Brien, it will be nice to have that power bat on the bench. But if you're also looking at somebody, you're carrying somebody like Adam Duvall, Duvall has the ability to hit on top of hitting home runs. You know, the, the hit the hit tool for O'Brien is like maybe 30 on a 20 to 80 scale. So that could be a big detriment. But if you need somebody who can just come up and hit your home run, you know, you, you could do a lot worse. He, he can hit moonshots for you. It's more about, to me, having somebody that's an actual first baseman. Maybe Snicker would be more inclined to give Freddie days off if there is an actual first baseman on the roster behind him. Yeah, and this come this comes back to Riley. He's he's not I would be willing to sacrifice Pete O'Brien if it meant Austin Riley got to be on the opening day roster filling in at first base cuz he he played a little bit there last year and in, in preparation for um for possibly being able to fill in. So I I can see that scenario, but there will be a lot more power on the bench this year, whether it's Duvall and O'Brien or Duvall and Riley or Riley and O'Brien, whatever the case winds up being, there will be more power coming off the bench than there has been in previous years. Oh, undoubtedly. Unfortunately, there might be a real case where a lot of people don't see it for a couple months as uh, this coronavirus outbreak or COVID-19 or whatever you want to call it, uh, it's, it's really starting to affect Major League Baseball. It's really starting to affect basically everything. But uh, sports is kind of a sacrosanct thing where that's kind of like our big barometer. Now that it's started to affect games, whereas like Seattle is not playing games in Seattle for and, until it's controlled because was it their governor just came out and said uh, no gatherings of more than 250 people because the, the virus is spreading up there. I mean, you're in you're in a really bad position as far as baseball right now. You had to deal with a horrible off season with all the stuff with with the scandal. Uh, just coming off of having to deal with Tyler Skaggs during the season, now you get into this and, and everybody's having to deal with the coronavirus outbreak, and everybody's escape route is sports. I mean, that's that's kind of what draws everybody together. We think about the nine eleven game uh, immediately following nine eleven with the Braves and the Mets, uh, and, and that what that Mike Piazza home run, which was a seminal moment uh, in a career that's a Hall of Fame career. That was probably the moment for Mike Piazza. You, you you get to this point here, and you're talking about they might try to find alternative stadiums, playing with no fans. Uh, they're, they're just trying to scramble to find a, some way to make sure that they don't have to cancel games during the season. But, Doc, you and I were talking before the show. This is, this is really starting to kind of get serious. Today has been... This being Wednesday, this is when you've really started to see how it's growing out. Um, it's kind of really integrating itself into sports. I mean, first off, I mean, the, 
the sports thing takes a backseat to what this is really looking like. And I know there's people out there that are saying this whole thing is a hoax. This is not real. It's not a hoax. 120,000 people confirmed through today, you know, that's a that's a pretty massive scale hoax. I mean, people are dying. You know, this is serious. And I would By the way, much, mayor, mayor of Seattle, not governor. Okay. I would I would much rather there be an abundance of caution and then we all look back in a couple years and say, "God, do you remember we were freaking out about that?" Like Y2K. You know, people were terrified and nobody was dying about that, you know. And we look back and say, "Oh man, everybody thought this was going to be a big deal." But this is this is something that you're right. I mean, people people turn to sports for comfort in moments like this. And we had seen earlier today that uh, you mentioned Seattle and San Francisco had said a similar thing. Like there are no gatherings of more than a thousand people, which is obviously going to impact the NBA season. You know, you got the Warriors uh, playing up there. It's this is going to happen to Major League Baseball. And we've, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's entirely possible that by the time this episode drops on Friday, then they will have already made the announcement that they're going to move forward with doing games with nobody in the stands. And I remember a couple years ago when the uh, the Orioles played the game. It was in the, the wake of the, uh, the Freddie Gray situation. And there were insufficient security resources. So they, they played a game at Camden Yards with nobody in the stadium. And it was just the weirdest thing. It was just so bizarre. And so when you're looking at doing that, on a wide scale, you know, think about opening day crowds and everybody comes and everybody's just going nuts for opening day. And then it just is going to deflate the moment. But once again, that comes back to this is bigger than that, but we need to be ready for this. And who knows, who knows how long this could last. It, it this could, you know, two weeks from now we could be saying, Oh, then, you know, th this isn't a big deal at all. But on the same token, two weeks from now, then these numbers could have tripled quadrupled. Who knows? So, I think Major League Baseball needs to be really proactive and kind of overdo it a little bit, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you're going to see them do the alternative stadium thing. The logistics on that just don't seem to fit. I mean, that's you're talking about having to find a stadium that can, one, fit enough people, or two, have the facilities to actually be like baseball dimensions, and three, have the dugout situation and locker room situation for these Major League players. I don't see them doing alternative stadiums. Uh, I, I think you're much more likely to just see like it was in Baltimore where it's just no fans in the arena. That's what the NCAA basketball tournament is doing. The NIT is going to have no fans in attendance. Uh, that, that seems to be what it's looking like in, until they can get a handle on this. And while it sucks as a fan because you don't want to watch with nobody around, I mean, it's, not, it's, it's, it's a good idea because the more people around, the more it's going to spread. Now you're talking about... Gary Sanchez, I believe, was was uh, taken to a doctor with, with some sort of fears that he might have contracted something. Uh, I know there was a soccer player from Juventus that just tested positive for coronavirus. So, I mean, everybody can get it. It's not like anybody. It's not like because you're a baseball player, you're magically immune. So they do have to take some sort of precautions. And trying to keep forty thousand people from not being elbow to elbow is probably a good one. And if I'm a player, the last thing I want is just just have forty thousand people. You know, maybe maybe on opening day, then nobody's got it, no big deal. But then you get, you know, forty thousand different people the next day, and then forty thousand different people the day after that. I mean, just the amount of exposure that the players are going to get is going to be more than just the casual fans. So. Uh, there's just a lot to consider, and there there's big ripples on this for people. Like I'm I'm. 
you know, it seems inconsequential. I'm trying to plan a baseball trip to, you know, I was going to go uh, fly up to Detroit, drive over to Cleveland, and then Pittsburgh and hit a couple stadiums. I, my One of my goals, bucket list items, is to go to every major league stadium. And I'm feeling frustrated because I'm like, man, I can't book anything yet because, you know, who knows if, if this is going to wind up even mattering. And then it's like I feel bad because I get frustrated that, oh, yeah, people are dying. This is actually, this is bigger than baseball. And two weeks ago, we had this conversation about Freddie Freeman and the painkillers. I thought that was going to wind up being as dark as we got for until the season started. Come to find out two weeks later, here we are. Yeah, 2020 not off to a roaring start at all. But as it is, we're... I, I kind of don't want to spend a ton more time on this. People are getting to the show as kind of an escape, so I don't want to bum anybody out. That being said, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by one of my locked-on colleagues as we're going to explore the NL West and just how that Dodgers team can somehow win 106 games and somehow get better. We'll be joined by my colleague Jeff Snyder coming up right after the break right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, episode number 106. Ladies and gentlemen, Doc here, just letting you know that this week's episode of Platinum Sombrero is brought to you by Simply Safe. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's the traditional way, where you can wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that is going to cost you a small fortune. Or there's the other way. There's Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award-winning protection and the two-time winner of CNET's Editor's Choice Award. Simply Safe blankets your whole home in safety. You get comprehensive protection for the entire house. You get outdoor cameras and doorbells, which will alert you to anyone that is approaching your home. And for inside, you've got entry detectors, motion sensors, and glass break sensors. You barely even notice it's there. But what is truly remarkable is how you can set the system up all by yourself. Anybody can do it. It takes 30 minutes to an hour, tops. And there's absolutely no trade-offs for your safety. You will have an army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police to your home at a moment's notice 24-7, 365. Actually, it's a leap year, so 24-7, 366. It's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. This is why The Verge calls Simply Safe the best home security system. The best. So, go to simplysafe.com. That's S-I-M-P-L-I, safe.com, backslash team, and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now, or preferably after the end of this episode, be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash team. That's simplysafe.com slash team. Platinum Sabero is also brought to you by Meat Bids. Stake your claim, and then claim your stakes. So, it seems strange. We've been doing these division preview series for a couple of weeks now, and we are fully planted in the National League right now. Next week, we will do the National League East. But for this week, we are going to do the National League West. And we needed to bring in an expert, and we've got an expert for you, ladies and gentlemen, from Locked On Dodgers. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jeff Snyder. That's at Snydog on Twitter. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, happy to be here. I was worried when you said we need to bring in an expert. I was worried the next line was going to be, but there wasn't one available. So we got Jeff instead. So uh, I liked your version more. (laughs) 
It's always good. This is probably the one good thing about uh, Jeff being a colleague of mine on on the Locked On Podcast Network is uh, there are a ton of people. Luckily, now now when we need somebody to preview any team, there's essentially a, a person we can call from all across that. We had uh, we had Jeff Carr on not too long ago, so uh, I believe you are the second Locked On guest we've had on the Platinum Sombrero. As we always like to do a little cross contamination, we like to cross the streams a little bit on this show. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's keep it to Jeff's though. <laughs> right. Yeah. Moratorium on any non Jeff's. Yeah. That's kind of my philosophy on life anyway. And you're Jeff with a J. There's also the G E O F F. Do you have any type of war between the uh, war between the Jeff's? Uh, you mean the Geoffs? Is that oh, who you're talking about? The Geoffs? Oh man. That's a totally yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Geoffs can do their own thing, I guess. I think they just kind of don't count. They're just like Vermont. They're just kind of there, like North Dakota. Like, yeah, they're part of it, but nobody really cares. Yeah, Geoffs are the North Dakota of Jeffs. Absolutely, put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> well, one team that is uh, one team that is certainly not an afterthought is your Los Angeles Dodgers, who, for some reason, managed to the first deal that they managed to pull off for uh, for Mookie Betts was an insane deal. Somehow. After all the crazy stuff that went on, they somehow came out even farther ahead the second time. Uh, I don't know what kind of voodoo magic you guys are working out west, but um, to say that I'm jealous and a little bit angry would be an understatement. I respect that. Yeah, and you know, they definitely came out more ahead for 2020. I think in the long run, you know, uh, giving up two prospects in addition to Verdugo, you know, it, it. I, I don't know that it was necessarily a better deal overall, but definitely uh, adding in Bruce Dargraderall helps the 2020 team more. And when you're trading for Mookie Betts with one year left on his contract, it's a trade for 2020. And so, uh, yeah, I was uh, I, I did not cry sad tears that night when that trade went down. You're talking to maybe the largest Bruce Dargraderall fan that is not a member of the Bruce Dargraderall family. Uh I never bought into to the idea that he's not going to be able to start. I think that was uh, I think that was Dave Dombrowski getting upset at the fan reaction from uh, from Boston. Uh, everybody points to his weird delivery, but um, he's never had any any real history of of bad injuries or anything like that that lead me to believe. Like he hasn't had back injuries, which are usually the clear indicator of somebody his mechanics are so far out of whack that he can't be a starter. It usually reflects in the back, not the shoulder. Uh, so congratulations. You guys got bruised Dar, who's going to be locked down in your bullpen this year. And uh, knowing the Dodgers and how they, how good they are with their talent, uh, their talent development staff, I would assume he's going to end up being a heavy favorite to win a starting rotation spot. If not in 2021, then in 2022. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what their long-term plans are for him. Like you said, you know, he, he's been a starter forever until now. And, you know, yeah, his 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 role on the 2020 Dodgers is definitely in the bullpen, but uh, who knows what will happen in the future. You know, the second part of that deal was, was David Price. And, you know, whether or not David Price is actually worth the $32 million that is on his contract annually, that is certainly up for debate. But when you start looking at the entirety of that deal and all of, all of the different branches that grew off, grew off of it, particularly the deal that sent Maeda to Minnesota and brought back Gratterall, then you essentially wound up swapping 
price for Maeda. How do you feel about trading one for the other? Do you think it's going to kind of wind up being a wash or do you think that price is really going to thrive being out of Boston? You know, I, he definitely wouldn't be the first player ever to get out of Boston and, and refine some of his previous greatness. Uh, if that were to happen, I I'm excited about David price. And, and especially because like you said, 32 million bucks, well, that's not really the equation here because the Red Sox are paying half of it. The Dodgers are only paying him 16 million a year, which means if he performs as a solid number three starter, he's more than worth his, his money. And I think, you know, based on his history, his health history, the the fact that he can actually feel his pitching hand now for the first time in a year, which, uh, you know, I used to be a pitcher and I, I, it's been a long time, but I seem to remember liking to be able to feel my hand. And so I feel like that can only help. And so I don't see any reason to think that he couldn't be one of the best number three starters in baseball. And at that point, that's a bargain for the Dodgers at 16 million bucks. And when you, when you start looking at this Dodgers team, it is 100% all about the lineup because while I'm a big fan of the rotation, I think getting Alex Wood back cheaply was a huge score. I'm a big Alex Wood fan. Uh, Julio Urias finally getting a spot in the rotation is also a big deal. You still have Ross Stripling, who's ready to step in if anybody ends up hurt or ineffective. Uh, the bullpen, I still got some questions about for LA, but when you're looking at that lineup, it's it's just so insane that you're going eight, nine guys deep when you start including the bench guys who are 20-plus homer guys individually. You start looking up and down the lineup, and you're trying to find spots for these guys that don't make them look like they're bad hitters. I mean, you got Max Muncy, who's going to basically play every day. Cody Bellinger was the MVP a season ago. Mookie Betts might be might be the second-best player in baseball when he's fully healthy. Uh, you got Corey Seager, who hopefully should be back healthy. Gavin Lux is going to try to find some at-bats. Justin Turner. Will Smith is an absolute animal. There's a lot going on for this Dodgers team. It's almost it's almost like the hardest thing for your offense is going to be finding at-bats for everybody. Yeah, I mean, you look at the guys you didn't mention just now. You have Chris Taylor, who was literally one of the best players, you know, probably a top 25 player in baseball three years ago uh, and, and still has that skill set. Kike Hernandez, who's shown flashes. Matt Beatty, who was really good off the bench last year. And then you have guys who aren't even who aren't even going to make the 25 man roster who would be starting for some other teams, you know, guys like Edwin Rios and DJ Peters and, and who just, they can't crack the roster. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, for a team going into the off season, the Dodgers didn't have many holes because they won 106 games last year. You know, it's hard to identify a clear way to improve. Uh, but you know, one of those few ways there was, was maybe let's go trade for Mookie Betts. Who's one of the top, three or four players in baseball. And so that's what they did. And it just kind of made them even deeper. And yeah, I mean, they have every guy on their bench. They'll have, you know, all five of their guys sitting on the bench are going to be guys who would be starting for almost any other team in baseball. You know, we, as Braves fans, we, we look at the Dodgers and we, we see, I mean, obviously just as, as we've covered, just an incredibly stacked team at every position. You've got guys that can play all over the place. And, I think a lot of Braves fans are really just in love with the idea of having that same type of flexibility, that same type of depth, and being able to rotate guys out. I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, with the Austin Riley, Johan Camargo situation right now and the fact that we have five different outfielders. And I, I think that there's this idea that once you just went having the depth is enough. But I'm curious to know from somebody, because you, you've seen firsthand over the past couple of years, You've seen this in motion. Dave Roberts has been really good about substituting guys and, and playing 
playing guys all over the diamond, but are there any downsides to, to having somebody who's starting at three positions in a week for five, six months at a time? You know, it, it depends on the player. I think some guys just aren't made to do that. Even if they can physically handle multiple positions, they might be more suited to say, okay, I play this position at least for the next couple months, you know? Um, but other guys ha- have thrived in that role. And, you know, it, and the hard part is you don't really know who fits in what boat. Sometimes you don't even know after the fact. Cause like I said, Chris Taylor in 2017 was one of the best players in baseball. And, uh, lately he hasn't, he, he's had his ups and downs. And, you know, some of that has coincided with, bouncing around to different positions but you know you you don't know for sure if that's what's causing it or if it you know if that's coincidence a guy like kike hernandez plays great defense at multiple positions he's not just a utility guy he is he could be a gold glover at three different positions probably um and him it's just can his bat play well enough to stay in the lineup but overall i think having these this positional flexibility uh is definitely a benefit to the team because you can, you know, a guy like Justin Turner needs a day off. You don't have to have a backup third baseman. You know, when when, when you have a guy like Turner who you know is going to need a few more days off than the, than the, your average everyday third baseman, you know, if he's going to need 30 days off during the season, but you don't have to have a dedicated backup third baseman because you have Matt Beatty or Kike Hernandez or Chris Taylor or, you know, whoever else last year, even Dave, David Fries moved back to third a little bit, I think. Uh you know, there, there's a lot of different guys who can say, yeah, I can play third base once, you know, once every week or two, that's no problem. And so, uh, you know, anybody, it doesn't matter who needs a day off. You have a guy who can fill that position and not be a big hit defensively. And I think that's a huge benefit. Now it wasn't just the offense that got better. I did mention that I wasn't a hundred percent on the bullpen in LA, but there are some some pieces there that I really, really do like. Talked about Gratterall already, who I think is going to be an animal. Kinley Jansen went to driveline, which is always a good sign. Anytime you go to driveline, somebody ends up being amazing. But the other under... I almost want to say it's understated because of how 2019 went, but getting Blake Trainin, if they can get him back to 2018 Blake Trainin, uh, they just hit a home run, grand slam, whatever you want to say. They just hit it out of the ballpark because when Trainin is right... There's nobody in baseball that can hit that sinker of his, and to add him into the back end of that bullpen, uh, that that just gives the Dodgers another another way of saying, hey, we've only got to make it through six or seven innings, and then we've got the the guys back there to not blow the lead. A lot of the problem has been that a lot of the guys in the bullpen have just been kind of young, and we're not even mentioning guys like Caleb Ferguson uh, or Tony Gonsolin, guys that have been starters for most of their careers, but are so talented they're playing in the bullpen right now. Uh, th- th- there's a lot of there's a lot of upside in LA's bullpen, and I feel like we're stroking y'all's feathers a little too much, but uh, I don't think there's any doubt that a rational Braves fan would look around at the National League, and it's not Washington that we would be worried about. It is, how does anybody beat this Dodgers lineup? Yeah, and the bullpen is, you know, you, you hear a lot of, uh, color commentators and some of the phrases they they use you don't quite know you can tell it's inside baseball kind of talk and you hear about a heavy sinker that guy has a heavy sinker uh watch blake trying and pitch and you will finally understand what that means because it actually the ball looks heavy the guy swing at it and it's like it's like when you're you know somebody's throwing a weighted ball to you to your you're trying to hit it you know that so yeah blake trying has a ton of potential 
the, the way I like to say it about the bullpen is there are a ton of question marks, but a very realistic answer to all the questions is, yeah, he's going to be really good. You have Blake Trining, you have Jimmy Nelson, who, if he can get healthy and get back to what he was, he could be awesome, whether it's as a starter or out of the bullpen. You have Joe Kelly, who has the stuff to be awesome. He also went to driveline. You know, you have, like you said, Kenley Jansen. Pedro Baez was really, really good most of the year last year. Uh, you know, and, and then you throw in Gratterall. You've got converted starters like Stripling and Ferguson and, and Gonsolin, like you said. And, yeah, I mean, the bullpen is a question mark, but only because it's like, well, how is this going to play out? But I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm not even – super nervous about the bullpen anymore i'm more just interested to see how it plays out and so yeah if you're trying to find a weakness on the dodgers i mean i guess it's the bullpen but uh good luck with that you know <laughs> i mean the the dodgers are pretty pretty clearly the the class of not just the nl west but kind of of the the national league as well the the end of the 2019 season i know left a kind of a unsavory taste in your mouth. I mean, we we got embarrassed out of the playoffs in our own way, but and I know that based on the expectations that were set all season long, then the way things ended for for LA were were certainly not what you wanted. And when we're looking at the Dodgers now, it's been six straight division titles and you know, there have been some World Series in there, but haven't been able to finally get over the hump. I mean, we were Braves fans. We saw 14 straight division titles and only one World Series. So, um do you think this is finally the year that the Dodgers are able to put it all together and and get that World Series title, or is this going to wind up being getting you know halfway to what the Braves did in the nineties? I you know I I don't know what the answer to that question is because I I don't necessarily think that they haven't put it all together. You know that that's the thing, the fact that they lost game seven of the 2017 world series, or if you want to look at a different way, the fact that they lost game two or game five. Um, if one of those games goes differently, they're the world series champions in 2017, you know? And so I, I don't think you can really say that based on it, when a series that was that close and that tight, if there were probably 30 different things that could have gone differently, including the Astros not cheating that might have changed the outcome there. And so you know, I I don't really want to make bold proclamations that they haven't put things together uh, just because none of those 30 things went differently. When, you know, if you run a simulation in a thousand different alternate universes, the Dodgers probably win that series, you know, 564 times. And and I, I, I don't know. So, uh, but, you know, back to your original question, I, I do think this is the best team on paper that the Dodgers have had in a long time. And... Uh, the rest of the National League, there's some good teams. Obviously, the Braves are a really good team. The Nationals, uh, I think they're not too much worse than they were last year. Um, you know, I mean, that whole National League East, except for the Marlins, there's some dangerous teams there. Uh, there's, you know, but I do think the Dodgers are the, as of right now, they got to be the favorites to make the World Series from the National League. And then, you know, a lot of it comes down to the health of the Yankees and the health of the Astros or the whether the Astros can still hit when they don't know what's coming or all those other different questions. And, you know, but then you get down to one series and it's like, is the best of seven series really 
something we can predict seven months beforehand. And, you know, so I think all you can do if you're putting together a baseball team is put together the best team possible. And when you have a team that won 106 games, then you trade for one of the best players in baseball. That's clearly what they're trying to do. Um, they've addressed their their few weaknesses they had, and then they also got better in a in an area that we didn't know it was possible to get better. And so uh, they're going for it, and I like their chances. And it kind of puts a damper on the rest of the division. It kind of it kind of erases the fact that some other teams in the division have done some really good things this offseason, particularly San Diego, who I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, as the NL West, there's clearly defined tiers. There's the Dodgers, then there's everybody else. But above everybody else is like San Diego and Arizona, and then is San Francisco, just uh, trailing down the end. I would say Colorado's probably in between there, but I don't think Colorado's going to be very good this year at all. I actually don't think Arizona is going to be very good. I think they got very lucky last year. When you looked at their lineup, uh, it was really – Doc and I were going back and forth just kind of wondering, like, how the heck is Arizona actually playing well? Their their lineup is horrendous. But the Padres, after having the best farm system in baseball for what feels like a, a million years, they're finally starting to get some matriculation to the majors. You're starting to see a lot of these guys, not just Fernando Tatis Jr., but you're starting to see uh, a, a lot of these other guys starting to make this jump, particularly the arms. You're starting to see uh, Mackenzie Gore is right on the cusp. He's going to be up this year, and he's he looks incredible. You got Chris Paddock, who came out of basically nowhere last year and was one of the better rookie arms until he kind of hit that rookie wall. Uh, Adrian Morahone looked very good in very short samples. Michael Baez, they've, they've got a lot going on. And while they're not the Dodgers right now, you got to look at that Padres team. And even if they don't look like they're going to really challenge for the NL West, you got to look at what they've done and say they, they might have finally done it right. Now, if they could just get some people to take on the contracts of Will Myers and Eric Hosmer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Padres are, I think they're clearly, for me, I, I agree with you about the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks don't scare me much. It seems like they're really banking on repeats from Cattell Marte and, and Carson Kelly and what's his name who plays first base and only hits Christian, home runs off Clayton Kershaw. Christian Walker, former Braves legend. Yep. Um, you know, and so uh, that doesn't scare me too much. Uh, but the Padres, yeah, you know, what they're doing with some of these prospects, they, they're definitely, I don't think 2020 is their year to even make it very close in the division. Um, but, but I mean, clearly they are doing some things right. And, uh, but I mean, if you look at their 40 man roster right now, you can see, you can see the, the start of something really good. Um, a lot of those names you just mentioned. Uh, but then, you know, I know they're trying to, to build like a, a lights out bullpen. They got Drew Pom- Pomeranz, who was great in relief last year. They still have Kirby Yates, who was awesome last year. But bullpens are so volatile. Like, I mean, I'd put money against both of them, both Pomeranz and Yates, both being great again. I don't know which one will be good. Maybe neither, maybe, maybe both. But uh, if I was betting, I wouldn't bet on both of them to be great. And so... You know, trying to build that lights out bullpen is an interesting approach. They have three catchers, and none of them are really ready to be everyday catchers. If they could like tape Mejia and Hedges back to back, and Hedges is only allowed to play defense, and Mejia is only allowed to hit, you know, that would be one thing. But I think that's still illegal by baseball rules. And then, yeah, you've got guys like Myers and and Hosmer who are getting paid money, and so they're going to keep getting playing time. And you know, 
Tommy Pham is a good addition, but uh, yeah, I, I just don't see the Padres uh, contending in 2020. But there's definitely some stuff. Mackenzie Gore, I'm not looking forward to Dodge, the Dodgers hitting against Mackenzie Gore for the next seven or eight years. I coveted Mackenzie Gore in that draft. He, the Padres wound up picking uh, just ahead of the Braves that year, and I was very, very sad to see him come off the board. But and I think I think you've got a really good point about the Padres. They kind of resemble where the Braves were a couple years ago. They've got so much stellar talent just bubbling underneath the surface, and so much of it is cheap that they can afford to have contracts like Will Myers and like Eric Hosmer. I mean, the Braves had Matt Kemp. You know, which was just a huge albatross. I mean, you know, you, the Dodgers wound up getting Matt Kemp uh, from the Braves after after that season. So you're probably right. 2020 may not be their year, but it's going to be a really exciting time to be a Padres fan. You could still see a scenario where they they wind up winning maybe 81 games, 83 games, and finishing in second place because, like you said, the Diamondbacks. I mean, Marte was playing over his head, and Beyond that, I mean, you, you, there's a lot of recognizable names for Arizona, but there's not a whole lot of substance. It's not not a whole lot that you're really going to count on. I'm, I'm a huge Starling Marte fan, and I'm curious to see him playing outside of Pittsburgh, which is just a disaster. Cole Calhoun, he's got a lot of potential, and you, you pair Marte, Calhoun, and David Peralta in the outfield. I mean, it's okay. And even signing Madison Bumgarner, we were pretty overjoyed at least on our show, about the fact that the Braves didn't wind up signing him because he's been trending in the wrong direction. As you know, I mean, if there's anything I know about Mad Bum and the Dodgers, it's that uh, there, there's kind of some ill will there. So it's just going to transfer to elsewhere in the division. He's still going to wind up getting booed. So so that's kind of the middle tier, uh, having the Padres and the Diamondbacks. And even when you start to get down to the Giants and the Rockies, you know, the Giants roster looks awful. It just looks terrible. And even with the Rockies, they're, they're a completely ineptly run franchise, but they still have Arenado and Story and David Dahl and Yermon Marquez and John Gray. I mean, they've, they've still got some good pieces. So I can squint and see a Colorado team that wins 75, maybe. But I look at the Giants. I mean, I think they'll, they'll be lucky to not lose 100. I think the bigger question there is, what is Farhan Saidi thinking hiring Kapler and not just hiring him, but hiring him that quickly. I mean, not to not to beat a dead horse here, but I'm of the firm belief that not only is Kapler a horrendous manager, he might be one of the worst managers I've ever witnessed in my career. And I had Freddie Gonzalez here in Atlanta, so I know a little something about horrendous managers. And Farhan is such a smart guy. I don't know I don't know why he hired Kapler, but that is going to be absolutely horrendous. I know they've got Joey Bart who's going who's going to be in the majors at some point this year. They've got some guys down low particularly, guys like Marco Luciano who if you're in a dynasty draft, that's a name you need to write down and remember Marco Luciano is an absolute stud. Uh, Hunter Bishop who uh, Doc, I meant to text you this the other day. Are you aware that Hunter Bishop had a walk rate of like 36% last year in one of his stops in the minors? Uh, I was not aware of that, no. Thanks for telling me his, though. You're breaking my his heart. Walk rate, his walk rate was as high as Drew Waters' strikeout rate. Uh, so, God. yeah. yeah, uh, They've got some young guys. The problem is the, the guys they have are, are still two, three, four years away, and they've got such bad contracts on their big league roster. The Diamondbacks, I'm a big fan of Cattell Marte. I don't think he's putting up seven war again, um, but I'm a big fan of what Cattell Marte does, and it's been a long time coming for his breakout. I'm a big Eduardo Escobar fan. 
Um, but you talked about you you just rattled off their outfield doc talking about Starling Marte. Uh, I think Cole Calhoun is coming off the bench. David Peralta is starting. I think Cattell Marte is actually playing center field full time. Uh, at least that's what I hope to see because Starling Marte in center field is a dumpster fire. If that happens, then Arizona can hit all the home runs they want. They will not be able to catch a ball more than two feet to their left, uh, and it will be easy pickings for the Dodgers and the Padres. But I guess we should ask you, uh, is there, uh, take the Dodgers out of it. Is there a team in the NOS that could surprise and do much better than we're expecting? Is there any one of these teams that could perform much better or much worse than what we've said here? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be the Giants. It's probably not going to be the Rockies um, because the fact is the guys who they have who are good have played well. They played well last year, and the team was still awful. And so uh, I'm until it's proven otherwise, I'm dubious that it's possible to put together a consistently good team in Colorado. I just don't believe that. So, I mean, it would have to be the Padres or the Diamondbacks, and obviously – None of the three of us are super high on the Diamondbacks, so I guess that means they have the best chance of of uh, surprising us. Uh, but I, I don't see – I mean, if, if any team other than the Dodgers won 90 games this year, I would be shocked. Uh, I'll, I'll be surprised if any of them get to 85. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I guess if, if Mackenzie Gore – uh, you know, if Paddock can, can repeat what he did last year and Gore comes up early in the season – and his lights out. I mean, that's that's a really good rotation. And when you've got, uh, you know, you got a top of the lineup that's Tatis and uh, Machado, you know, that's a really good start. And so I could see the Padres uh, winning some games. Again, you know, I don't think they'll get to 90. I doubt they'll get to 85. Uh, but I guess, you know, I think they're the best team other than the Dodgers in the division. So I guess I'd say they're the best chance to to surprise us and be even better than we think. Fair to say we're all on board with the division kind of mapping out as the Dodgers, Padres, Diamondbacks, Rockies, Giants. Yeah, I mean, the fourth and fifth spots are the only uh, real question marks. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's that would be my guess. That's how I'd line it up too. And truthfully, having just emerged from a rebuild, if I'm a Colorado fan, I'm kind of hoping that they just completely implode for the first half of the season and trade everybody because it's gonna be it's gonna be a while before before they're able to do anything. All of their minor league talent is all up the middle players. That's it. They they don't really have anybody in a corner. They don't have a whole lot of pitchers. So you know, trade Arenado, trade Story, even though he just signed his extension. Bullpen pieces always go for a lot, so you could probably trade Scott Oberg. Um, and just lay in wait for hopefully the Dodgers window to close. No offense, Jeff, uh, for the Padres to maybe have some of the inevitable attrition that comes with all the pitching that they've built around and then try and make a push for, I don't know, 2024. It's a tough thing to sell to a, to a fan base, especially when you've been lying and saying that, oh, yeah, we're going to win 94 this year. Sure, sure you are. It's especially hard when the Dodgers window is not showing any signs of closing. I know. You know they they just MLB MLB.com's prospect ranks yesterday have the Dodgers with the third best farm system in baseball. You know, the they have a really good player development system. And so, you know, they they've done it they've done things really well. In addition to being a rich team, they build players. And so uh sometimes I think if I wasn't uh born with the the blessing of being a Dodger fan, 
I would hate the Dodgers just because I, I think they would be a real pain in the butt. Yeah, they are. They really, really I do are. hate the Dodgers. I, I really do hate the Dodgers. I don't think it's fair <laughs> that you can have, you know, two hundred million dollar rosters and still have great player development to turn a guy like Max Muncie from a scrub to a superstar in no time flat. So uh yeah, we hate you a little bit. But I in respect that super, that. In that uh, super friendly I'll have you way. Know, even though I I know the Giants are supposed to be my least favorite team because it's the traditional rivalry, but uh, I, I was born in 1977, so I was a teenager. You know, the Dodgers and Braves were divisional rivals when I was growing up, and I was a teenager in 1991, and uh, I, I'm i still mad at the Reds for deliberately losing that last series to the Braves uh, to give the Braves the division. I still can't stand Dave Justice uh, saying, we're the Cinderella team. You know, I, I have... I have a strong dislike for the Braves, and so I think it's good that we have that healthy hatred for each other. I still maintain that last year, last year, last year was the Braves' year to beat the Dodgers. I'll I'll go to put that to my grave, and then the stupid Cardinals had to ruin everything. Yeah, can can we at least so, come so together? You think of, of the or, team that our hatred for the Cardinals, can the we team at least... that got beat by the team that got swept by the team that beat the Dodgers was going to beat the Dodgers. Yes, exactly. Okay. Just want to make sure I had that right, you know. Hey, just want to make sure. I mean, we had Rafael Ortega walk off with a grand slam. That's uh, I, I was fully on board with the Braves-Dodgers being the matchup of the century for the NL uh, at the NLCS, and the baseball gods took my joy uh, and fully stomped it out and then kind of lit it on fire in front of my face just as a nice little uh, finger. Yeah, my best friend is a Braves fan, and that was a rough day because the day started that morning with the Braves, you know, giving up 850 runs in the first inning to the Cardinals and getting knocked out, and then it ended that night with Dave Roberts forgetting that he had eight rested relievers and having Clayton Kershaw pitch to Rendon and Soto instead, and it was my, my best friend and I spent some time texting that night trying to decide who had the worst day, Dodger fans or Braves fans, and... uh I don't think we ever agreed because we both thought it was the worst thing ever. Was it only 850 runs? I could have sworn it was more than that. It felt like a lot more than that. I can only count 850, so okay. I don't. That, that's the biggest number I know. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was a bloodbath. I, I honestly, I, I we talked about it right after it happened on the show about I don't know which one I would rather have had happen because I mean ours was. Ours was bad. There, there's no way around it. But it, you know, getting walked off on a, in a series is, is in the playoffs is is devastating too. So, um, so I hate it for you. I hated hated it for us. Worse. No offense. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, I feel the same way in reverse. I mean, I, I still think the Dodger dog is the most overrated ballpark conf- uh, convection ever. But you know, well, I'll whatever. tell you, I, I don't think there's many Dodger fans who would tell you it's a great hot dog. But a Dodger dog means that you are at Dodger Stadium, which is the greatest stadium in baseball. And so that is what is beautiful about a Dodger dog, is where you are when you're eating it. I don't understand. what They, they sell them at AM, PM now. I don't understand why anybody would buy a Dodger dog at AM, PM, because all the, all the harm of a crappy hot dog and none of the benefits of being at Dodger Stadium, no thank you. <laughs> well put. I think that's a good one to end on. So uh, as we let you go, Jeff, man, thanks for coming on with us. This was a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to a, a tight race this season. Hopefully we can get the matchup we were denied last year and uh, Braves and Dodgers fans can continue to settle the score as we're just looking to kind of punch the big brother in the mouth just one time. 
Yeah, I would love it. Um, you know, like I said, it is a traditional rivalry uh, from being in the same division for so long. And uh, I, I have a respect for the Braves. I do think, you know, I didn't get to say this earlier, talking about the positional flexibility. I think the answer is teach Acuna to play shortstop. Just ha- have him start playing short, you know, and see if it affects him offensively. You won't know until you try, you know. Uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll see NLCS of Dodgers and Braves that the Dodgers obviously sweep the Braves and then go on to win the World Series. But at least we can agree on the matchup. Uh, it should be fun to watch. But uh, that being said, thank you guys so much for tuning into the episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.